If you would take your Bible this evening and turn then to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <coughs> Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Probably the lengthiest, I think it is without a doubt, the lengthiest passage in the Bible concerning the Lord's Supper. I want to start reading in verse 17, read down through verse 34. It says, Now on this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. There must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he is betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren... When you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. So as we consider tonight, remembering our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity privilege we have to be assembled together. Thank you for uh, this ordinance that's been set aside that we might remember the sacrifice of our Savior and the blood that was shed for the remission of our sin. Help us to understand the truth and the symbolism that we observe tonight and remember till you come for us as a reminder of the sacrifice that was made to purchase our redemption. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, the Lord's Supper, again, is not a something that is a novelty of sentimental value, of emotional feelings, of people-togetherness. Um, you know, in our uh, postmodern world of quote-unquote Christianity, churches advertise their communion services, you know, almost like it's an evangelistic gimmick. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord's Supper is not about us. It's about Him. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a wonderful sentimental feeling of love and of beauty. 
you know, think about it. What are you remembering? A horrible death and bloodshed. Uh, there's not a lot of beauty. You really think about the crucifixion and you read the description of that crucifixion of our Savior in, in the Gospels. There isn't, there isn't really any beauty there. The only, if you want to say a beautiful thing, is that he'd be willing to do it for us. You know, there, that's, that's, that's truly amazing love, as we sang about tonight. But, but there's no beauty in that, that, that our Savior would be crucified on our behalf. Um, you know, it's, it's, about, you know, it's about remembering the death of the innocent one, the just one for us unjust ones. That's, that's, that's really what it is. Um, <clears throat> you know, I didn't announce our Lord's Supper t- this morning during the service on tensional because we had a visitor. Because, you know, many times around this time of the year, Resurrection Sunday, people go to church looking for a place to have, participate in what they call communion. Uh, but, <clears throat> again, as we look, we want to consider this tonight from the scriptures, I want to look at several things. First of all, the participants of the Lord's meal. You know, five times in this passage of Scripture, it uses a phrase or similar to this, when ye come together, when ye come together. Verse 17, now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better but for the worse. You know, and, and, and we'll see why he says that for the worse. But again, verse eight, 18, first of all, when ye come together in the church... Uh, verse 20, when ye come together, therefore, into one place, you know, and this is really what a, a, a church is, it's a, an assembly of God's people in one place. Verse 33 and verse 34, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, now this, when you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, tarry or consider one another. And, 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 and again, I'll get to the minute why he says that, because they were in violation of the Lord's Supper. But anyway, and then in verse 34, and if any man hunger, so if, if you're looking for a real meal to satisfy your body, eat at home. That's not what the Lord's Supper is about. Eat at home. So if any man hunger, let him eat at home, and that ye come not together under condemnation, and the rest will I set in order. So, so when you come together, and, and of course, as we think about the, you know, this, the Lord's Supper was first instituted in a church setting in Mark chapter 14. And the Lord uh, appointed two of his disciples to go into the city and, and, to, and he told them, you know, you'll find this man uh, bearing a pitcher of water and, and, and you, you're to ask him uh, <clears throat> in verse 14 of Mark 14, where is the guest chamber where, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. And verse 16 says, And the disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the supper. And so this was, a, this, this was where they, the, the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, and he, had, uh, he, he, he uh, ate with his disciples. Uh, it was in a large very spacious, that word large means megas, a very spacious upper room. Most commentators, and, and, I, and I really believe, that this is the same upper room as spoken of in Acts chapter 1. And you know, not only were the 12 disciples meeting there, and we know in Acts chapter 1, 
But there was Mary and Mary Magdalene and some other women meeting with them in that upper room. And we know that the number of the names on the roll, the membership of the church, was already 120. Now, it doesn't specifically say that the 120 were there, but it doesn't say they weren't either. So this was a very large upper room. It's very possible. You know, it says he did eat or sat with the 12. And, of course, he focused on the 12 in particular. But it's very possible there were more than the 12 even at this first Lord's Supper. So this is a church setting, not individuals. Uh, uh, it was already furnished, prepared by other disciples. You notice in verse 13, 15, he says, And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So it's already furnished and prepared. Uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, they... they uh, and it was during this time, and when the Lord met there in this upper room, that he singled out one of the twelve that would betray him as he sat with the twelve in that room. Uh, it also says in, verse, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26 and verse 30, at the conclusion of this, they sang a hymn. Well, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12 that he sang in the midst of the church. So the Lord's Supper was instituted in a, in a church setting. Uh, with his church. Uh, it, is, it is for the members of the Lord's church. For those who have been saved, born again by the Spirit of God, have covenanted together through baptism and join, or joined the church. Uh, you know, this is how one, one becomes a member of the body of Christ. And so, and we see that again in, in chapter 11 here of 1 Corinthians. It says, when ye come together, when ye come together uh, into one place, and so it is for to be observed by those who are members of the Lord's church. Uh, they've been born again, saved, and baptized. You know, a person gets into the Lord's church by, through, through, the, through the waters of baptism. And, and so uh, to, reject, to, to reject baptism is to reject membership in the Lord's church. It really is to lightly esteem the Lord's church. And, 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 you know, some, some people don't want to get baptized. Make professions don't want to get baptized. In other words, they don't want to be accountable or accounted with the Lord's church. They don't want the responsibility of, of church membership. And, and really, the Lord's church is his body. It's to lightly esteem his body. And so these are the participants of the Lord's meal. Uh, we see also the practice of the Lord's meal. It's called the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. In, in verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he betrayed, betrayed took bread. So it was something the Lord gave uh, to his churches, and he, he it is that sets the qualifications for it. Of course, and what we see here is proper elements. Uh, and there's two elements of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is bread. First of all, bread, verse 24. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And we believe that this is, you know, when he says bread, it is to be unleavened bread. Uh, because of the, the, the typology and the examples in Scripture, you know, the Passover meal, for example, the Passover meal was to be eaten with unleavened bread. If you go to Exodus chapter 12, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12, and uh, verses 12 through 20, 
you'll find over and over again, the Lord says they're to eat the Passover meal with unleavened bread. In um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, uh, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So they were to put the blood of the Passover lamb over the lentil and down the side post of the house. And then when the, the, the angel of the Lord would see that, he would pass over and not strike the firstborn dead. And then verse 14 says this, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. For whose and even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from all Israel. And if you read on down through this chapter, down through verse 20, he reiterates this over and over again. You're to eat it with unleavened bread. You're to eat this lamb with unleavened bread. Now, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says that even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And... And in, and in that passage, he, he, he refers to sin as leaven. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verses 6, um, six through 8, <clears throat> he says, Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Put out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So they were to eat uh, it with unleavened bread. And because leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible, uh, you know, in Mark 15 or Mark 8, verse 15, the Bible says, and he charged them, saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And, of course, it speaks of the, how they had corrupted the Word of God and exalted their traditions over the truth of God's Word, you know, and thereby teaching false doctrine. So leaven pictures sin and, and were to partake with unleavened bread. The second element we see is the cup or the fruit of the vine in verse 25. It says, And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, it doesn't clearly say here uh, what this drink was, but if you go to the Gospels, in every one of the Gospel accounts, it's referred to as the fruit of the vine. In Matthew chapter 26, <clears throat> Matthew 26, verses 27 to 29, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. This blood is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I, will, I say unto you, I will not henceforth drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Also in Mark chapter 14 and verse uh, 23 to 25. Again, and he took the cup and when he given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank, they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my Blood of the New Testament was shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God, and so on. So every reference where it's referred to as the cup or the fruit of the vine. Now, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't use 
the generic word wine, or does use the generic word wine in other places, and it can mean alcoholic or non-alcoholic, depending on the context of the scripture. Context will determine it. Proverbs chapters 20 and chapter 23 obviously clearly condemn alcoholic wine, uh, fermented wine. It clearly condemns it. And, and, of course, the process of turning grape juice into alcoholic wine is a process of decay requiring the action of yeast, which is leaven. Now, if, if, he, was, if he, he tells us here to eat the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, why would he put leaven in the juice, in the fruit of the vine? Why would he drink leavened drink? The priests of the Old Testament were forbidden to drink strong drink. In Leviticus 10, 8 through 11, it says, The Lord spake unto Aaron, said, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink. Thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may put a difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. And, of course, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. You know, he filled the law as our high priest. And for him to drink alcoholic wine would have been a contradiction of himself. He'd had to violate his own word. You know, even as, you know, there's some people that think Jesus had long hair. Guys are, after all, Nazarites had long hair, and Samson had long hair, and no, Samson was a Nazarite. And he was a Nazarene. Well, Nazarene isn't the same as Nazarite, for one thing. And his word says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And that word shame there means it's vile. It's not pleasing to the Lord. So for him to have long hair would have contradicted his own word, and for him to... Uh, Institute the Lord's Supper with alcoholic wine would be a contradiction of himself, his own word. And after all, you know, red grape juice is a fitting symbol of the blood of Christ, which was shed for the remission or the sending away of our sins. And so these are the elements of the Lord's Supper. Then notice also the preparation of the church. Um, we are not to take partake unworthily or in an unworthily manner. In, in verse 27, he says, Wherefore, whoso shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthy, the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood, body, and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. Now, the word un, in an unworthy manner means irreverently. You know, our standing, and, and he's, he's instructing here that our standing for God is not the issue here, whether we're saved or lost. It's our obedience. It's an it's issue here. Uh, none of us are worthy of the Lord. Uh, it's not, it has to do with our imputed righteousness. The context, in the context, you know, it's talking about our conduct as a child of God. And, and of course, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's automatic, understood, that if a person is a member of the church, he's a saved person. That's taken for granted. You know, that's why Judas left the disciples before the Lord gave them the Lord's Supper. Uh, and if you read the Gospels carefully, you'll see that, that, that brought out. But anyway, so in the context here with what was going on at the church of Corinth, 
the thing that he was concerned about, or them taking the Lord's couple, uh, cup, uh, the Lord's supper unworthily, had to do with gluttony and despising the church. If you notice in verses 21 and 22, again he says, For in eating, everyone taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Verse 34, If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. So, so some had turned the Lord's Supper into an intemperate feast, and an opportunity to flaunt, flaunt their own wealth and superiority before others who were poor. You know, there was a, a great class um, division in the church at Corinth, and, and that's the way the city of Corinth was. There was the problem. You know, they say that the the majority of the people in Corinth were the low class or slaves, and you know, the the the, the minority were the wealthy or the tradesmen kind of people who had wealth and exploited the rest of the, of, the, of the people. And so you had both of these groups in this church, which automatically will create a division if you're not careful. And, and so this was the problem they had. And so these that were wealthy, would, and they had what they called, you know, according to history, they, they had uh, what they call... Uh, uh, a love feast, you know, sort of like we have a a fellowship meal. That's we we don't call it a love feast. We call it a fellowship meal. And so those who are wealthy were bringing in all this food, and 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 gorging themselves with all their their food and everything. But they weren't sharing it with the poor. And there was their poor brother over there who had very little, who who just you know subsisted through life and and barely made a living, and, and you know just and, and just you know survived. And and he doesn't have hardly anything to eat. He's hungry, and he overhears the the wealthy, and they're they're just gorging themselves with all this lavish food. And he's hungry. And this, and you know, is is. Uh, uh, drunken, and, and the term has the idea of gluttony, and so this was this was the problem. And 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 he's saying it. The, look, the Lord's meal, the Lord's table, is not a meal to satisfy your physical appetite. It's not a church carrying dinner. And to and by the way, you know, of course, he condemns this here. Uh, 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 this this practice anyway, the practice was wrong on its own because you know they were to they were to share or to tarry or to consider one another when they had a, a love feast, you know. So like we you know like we do, we bring our food in, we set it on the counter, and anyone can partake. Whatever you please. You don't say to that person over there, "Hey, I brought this, but I don't want you eating it." Or you don't, you know, take your food. I, I haven't seen this yet anyway. Any of you taking, your, taking your, your, your crock pot and sitting it on the table in front of your family and only allowing your family to eat out of it. That's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. Can you imagine doing that in a church setting? Now, that seems strange to us. But, you know, in, in many of these cultures, they, they felt that that lower class was undeserving and unworthy, and they were unwilling to share. Just as the Jews didn't, didn't think they should even eat with the Gentiles. 
Because they're dogs. And that same mentality was common amongst Gentiles, amongst the, the elite or the, the educated or the wealthy versus the poor. And so this was the thing that was going on at the church at Corinth. And, and so he says, you know, you need to tarry. You know, when, when, you have a, when you have a dinner, you need to tarry. One, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Consider one another. Because this conduct of yours is causing you, it's irreverent. It's causing you to be unworthy of the Lord's body. You know, the Lord's Supper is, is really symbolic of spiritual unity of the Lord's church. And to violate this is to be disrespectful to the body. It's sort of like, oh, I don't care what at the church, I only care about myself, you know. Well, the church is the Lord's body. It's not just you, it's the Lord's body. And so the, the selfish actions here at Corinth, of some at Corinth, showed they had no concept or concern for the unity of the church. You know, it was, it was in their minds their church, not the Lord's church. You know, some people have the idea that it's, it's their church. I remember I was talking to a guy, oh, probably 10 years ago now. I mean, there was a, when we moved here, there was a pretty good-sized church. Uh, well, well we refer to it in behind us down John Mitchell Road. And, and um, it was a pretty good sized church when we moved it. It was Southern Baptist Church. And, uh, but, you know, it had split after split after split. And there were some, several other churches that started off of that church. And, and one of the guys that used to go there said to me one day, he said, it's the so-and-so family's church. They controlled everything. So, you know, it, they considered it their church. It wasn't the Lord's church. And so they had violated the greatest commandment, which is to love one another. The great commandment. And so, uh, we're not to partake unworthily. We're not to partake if there's divisions. Verse 18, he goes on and says, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there would be divisions among you. And of course, this, these divisions had to do with class and maybe even racial. You know, divisions are the fruit of carnality, of walking in the flesh. When we want to have our way, when we feel superior over other people, just because they may be maybe a, considered a lower class in society than we are, when we feel superior, uh, that's divisive. That's carnal. In fact, James speaks of that in uh, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James gives a warning. He says, Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupt, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered. The rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the higher the laborers who have reaped down your fields which is kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the, Lord's, the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. You know, the context for that is really what he wrote in chapter 2, where he says this, 
My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. If there come unto your assembly a man wearing a gold ring and goodly apparel, come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and have become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? And so on and so forth. And so these were the things that were going on at Corinth. And, and so there was divisions. There was heresies, verse 15. Heresies is, causes division over doctrine. to teach con, things contrary to the word of God. You know, we get to chapter 15. There's some that are questioning the resurrection. And they were drawing away others after them. So, so these are the things that were going on in Corinth. And he says, you know, with these kind of things going on in the church, if you're participating in this kind of action, you're unworthy. If you're not right with God. So to, to, to participate in the Lord's table with divisions and disrespect for the Lord's body, with known sin in your life, well, it's, it'll bring judgment. It's to take unworthily of the Lord's Supper. And so he says, let a man examine himself, verse 28, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself. So uh, we are to examine ourselves, to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And then we notice also the prospect of the Lord's meal in verse 26 it says, For as often as ye eat this bread, here's the purpose for it, ye do show the Lord's death till we come. It's a symbol whereby we remember, whereby we are reminded. Reminded. The word do show means to announce, to declare, to make known, to proclaim publicly. The idea is kind of celebrating or openly praising uh, this, uh, the Lord's Supper. It is in remembrance, two things, remembrance of his death and in remembrance of his coming again. If you notice, he says there in uh, uh, verse 26, For as often you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. And then he says, till he come. So it's a reminder to remember that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. You know, that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Again, we're not participating in some novel, sentimental experience trying to express our unity one with another. That's not the purpose. You know, that again, the churches of the world have their communion services and advertise to other churches and to people outside the church to try and demonstrate their unity with everyone. That's not the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It's in remembrance of His death. And as we remember the Lord and His death and draw near to Him, guess what a fruit of that is? It's unity. It is automatic. You, know, you, you, can't, you can't create or make up unity. It's the fruit of agreement. You know, the world talks about unity in diversity. 
that's a contradiction of terms. How can you have unity and diversity at the same time? So you're talking about, you know, unity speaks of agreement, and, and diversity speaks of disagreement. So how do you have both of those at the same time? Well, you forget about doctrine. You just don't believe anything. You don't have any convictions about anything. Well, that's not biblical. You know, we're, we're to have, we're have, we hold to certain truths. Jesus held to certain truths. That's why he was very divisive. He was the truth. And he was very divisive. He said, I came not to send peace on the earth, but a sword. So, so it's not. It's not about that. It's not, a, it's not something we are created, we create to bring about unity. But if we honor the Lord's Supper as it's intended in the body of Christ, the fruit of that will be a unity that comes about. Just automatically. Because we'll be in agreement with Him. Uh, it is in remembrance of His coming. Again, verse 26 says, till He come. You know, so we show or remember also his resurrection. So it speaks of a living Savior uh, and the Lord who will return as he went from us. You know, Acts 11, 111 says, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you seen him go into heaven. So by participating in the Lord's table... You are declaring or celebrating that Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for your sin. By his death on the cross. And that he rose again for your justification. That you have put your faith and trust in him and have thereby been justified by God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Proving himself, of course, to be the Son of God with power, which restores us that he will return for us and to judge the world in righteousness. So it's, it's just to remember the crucified, broken body and his precious blood, his incorruptible blood that was shed for the re- remission of our sins. So the Lord's Supper, it's a symbol, it's just a symbol. It has no saving value. It has no work of grace value to it. It's not a sacrament. It's not a work of grace. It, ain't gonna, it isn't going to uh, uh, somehow make you more spiritual. It only has the potential of reminding you that you need to draw closer to the Lord. Reminding you of what the Lord has done in purchasing your redemption. So it is. It is for those who are saved and those who are members of the body of Christ, the church. And for those who have examined themselves. You know, if there's known sin in your life, unconfessed sin, better not to partake. If you you know your heart's not right with God, you could drink unworthily irreverently, not considering the Lord's body. Really, it, it's, it means that you think little of that the sacrifice of Christ really is just no big deal. 
It's really not that important. I mean, people die every day. So what's so important about his death? That's kind of the idea. See, the Lord's table is to remember his sacrifice for our sin. His shedding of blood for the remission of our sin. And it was our sin. It's a reminder that it was our sin that put him on the cross. You know, somebody has rightly said, who put Jesus on the cross? And people will say, well, the Pharisees did, or the Romans did, or... Wait a minute. No, we did. We did. He died for, not for the Romans. He didn't die because the Romans crucified him. He said, I have power to lay my life down, I have power to take it again. He gave his life. He gave his life for us. That's why he gave it. We put him there. And so the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us of the sacrifice that was paid to purchase our redemption. And so we need to examine ourselves, he says, and then let us eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Let's have a word of prayer. May we examine our hearts.